0: The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome welcome, to Data Guru's podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be be brave and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome Welcome, Welcome to the Data Gurus podcast.
1: I'm excited to welcome David Shankar, who is the CEO and founder of David Shankar Consulting. Welcome, David.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for joining me. I'm so glad you reached out on LinkedIn to share your story.
2: It's one of my new favorite platforms where I've recently spent a lot of time re-engaging and re-meeting a lot of folks that I've known for an awful lot of years, and it's been a lot of fun reconnecting with them.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, we'll talk about LinkedIn. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you just to share a brief kind of background of your journey to what brought you here today.
2: You know, I've done a lot over a, you know, a 30-some-odd-year career, mostly in the area of market research. Luckily, I've run different market research agencies. I've been involved in startups. I've been involved in a family business along the way. And all of it, I've always thought about as, how do I help this company get to the next level? So there's always that one thing in common, right? Which is you join, you have something while you're there, but what do you want it to be?
1: How do you characterize yourself as a leader when you say that? Because I think that there are companies at different stages that bring in different types of leaders to get to the next level. Is there a certain way you characterize your leadership style or what you bring to the table?
2: Here's what people that I've known for a long time have told me time and again. And a lot of them, I guess I'm lucky, have followed me from company to company. One, I'm terribly authentic. I wear my heart on my sleeve. What you see is what you get. Said another way, I overshare. My employees learned all about my family, my pets. Yeah. I mean, they learn everything about me, but it's just who I am. And I don't try to be anything different. So I tend to be very authentic. I communicate a lot. I learned early in my career, the not knowing is what makes people scare. If they don't know, then they're going to make assumptions and most of the time those assumptions are probably going to be wrong. So you may as well be upfront and candid with them. Now again, there's not hundred percent of the things can be shared obviously, but boy, you need to be very forthright and upfront and candid with employees over time to build that trust and credibility. And I think the last thing that folks would say about me that they have is that I care. I get invested in employees and clients and the business. I get passionate about it. I want to win. But as much as I want to win, I want my team to win. Every single person in the company, I want them to feel that same feeling. I think if you put those three things together, you start a good foundation of of how to build a change in culture Mm -hmm. and how to move an organization to that next level.
1: I completely agree with you. I think that transparency is so critical. And it's amazing when you're not transparent, how many different stories of reality Mm. play out in people's minds. Like things that you've never even thought about, people have thought about, you know, 10 steps ahead in terms of what the possibility could be of their future. It's kind of crazy what we do to ourselves.
2: People are great storytellers, some better than others. And when you let your mind wander, it can go anywhere. You know, along those lines on communication, I'll tell you a quick little story. I tried something that I was so scared to try, but I knew I needed to try it. So over the course of my career, I've always sent out weekly emails to the team, to the entire company, I should say. Sometimes it's, here's where I was. I saw a great client. I was at a great conference. Some of my, the best emails that have been responded to at the highest levels were, hey, here are my five favorite Netflix shows. What are yours? And everybody wanted to weigh in. Right. But I knew I needed to change from typing that email To doing video. So one day I sucked it up. I turned my iPhone camera on me and I just spoke for five minutes. Good for you. I didn't edit it. Thank you. I didn't edit it. I sent it out to the company and the response I got was universal. I was blown away on the impact that just something like that does in terms of getting people connected.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's not easy to talk for five minutes by yourself.
2: Oh, I could talk for 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes by myself in an empty room. Ask ask my kids.
1: Yeah, but that's different. In business, it's a little different. I know. It's funny when I start talking, I see the room disappear at home. It's like everybody's gone (laughs) because they know I'm going to be talking for a long time. So you've spent time at companies like IRI, OTX, Ipsos, Lightspeed, and each experience you were there to fuel growth or and you employed different strategies. And I'd love just to talk through a couple of those and how you as a leader had to adjust to really be able to take the company to the next level. And I'll let you choose which experience that you want to talk about.
2: You know, happy to talk about them all. Let's talk about Lightspeed. I joined Lightspeed at a really interesting time. The company in North America was being run with three disparate groups, the Lightspeed business that was servicing the Cantar companies, the GMI business that they had acquired a couple of years before my arrival, and then the uh, all global panel business, the healthcare business. And the challenge I had from day one was, how do you bring these three business units together? So one plus one plus one has to equal much more than three. And, you know, the easy stuff to do was look across, uh, you know, everything in the back end and, you know, where you can find some synergies and create some shared services. And we certainly did that and realized some great efficiencies. But the fun part of it was looking across the various sales teams, the three different sales teams and saying, how do we get them working together? So that one plus one plus one equals ten, so how do you cross train how do they refer to one another? how do they cross sell so that when we're out in the marketplace they're now representing in essence three brands, not two brands, and you know you have to employ a bunch of different tactics to do that, and those you know I think everyone you know can figure out that you know a lot of that is around compensation and commission structures. But what you also want to do is show them the value of the win, how f- good it feels when a salesperson from all global was able to bring in someone from the GMI sales team and all of a sudden they work together. And this little client that was maybe spending you know, five figures with us year over year now exploded into a six-figure client because they all saw the benefits of working together. Mm-hmm. That was something that we had a lot of fun doing. Now, it wasn't without growing pains because you know people are set in their ways people don't like to, don't, no one likes to change really. Most people don't like change, but you had to paint a picture. And that's what we did to show everyone what this could look like if we were able to pull it off.
1: And where did you start in that process in that journey? Because we had similar challenges at the MPD group when we tried to leverage salespeople to work across multiple product portfolios. I'm curious, where is the starting blocks for that change?
2: Employees. I spent uncanny number, unbelievable number of hours talking to employees one on one, you know, and think about it. you know, you got this new guy coming in as the guy who's running the company, and I'm pulling project managers into my office saying, Hey, I understand that you do this type of thing. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And after, you know, the blank look and the stare (laughs) and then that fear goes away when they realize I just wanted to talk. I just went employee to employee. We, you know, had offices across the country. I just met with as many people as I could. Because, you know, there's one, you know, truth in all of this. You can't get to where you're going unless you know where you are. You have to know your starting point. And for me, the only way to do that is talk to your employees. Now, once I did that, what do you do next? You go talk to your customers. And you find out from them where they believe you're at and then start putting a plan in place that says, all right, I now have all this great information. This is where I want to go. Once you get there, once you know where you want to go, then you've got to paint that picture and get that buy-in. And that's where that frequent communication comes in.
1: And what were some of the points of resistance that you ran into when you did that?
2: Oh, this is my client. I can't bring someone else into my, this is my client. Right. No one else is going to understand my client like my client. Or, well, wait a second. Are you sure? Can I trust that you're actually going to pay my commission? Right? Because, you know, salespeople are competitive and, you know, they're paid to go out and generate business. So they were worried about their commissions. And then, you know, probably the last one was, I know that whatever I sell, I can deliver. If someone else comes in from another group and sells something, what if they can't deliver? It'll damage my relationship. So, there, I had to get the COO of the company to lock arms and look me and the sales team in the eye and tell them we've got this covered from a back end. Whatever any of you sell, we will deliver seamlessly.
1: Right.
0: Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over one million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling programming, and hosting services or consultation, we are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today.
1: That's a major change, right? I mean, most companies go through it, but having that alignment between delivery and sales is a fundamental premise to build trust.
2: This took well over a year. This took about 18 months. I mean, this was heavy, heavy lifting. And, you know, I'll never forget because when I was hired, my boss said, well, you know, you're going to pull this off, you know, this year, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) I had a good laugh and, you know, painted a picture of how long something like this takes because these transformations just don't happen overnight. Most people are resistant to change like this.
1: What about the plumbing? What about the internal metrics, the scorecards, the tools? How disparate was it across these three different organizations?
2: Well, first of all, you had different metrics. So everyone was measuring everything differently. So you had to agree on a common platform. And if I think about it, you know, probably we didn't have the same metrics in all three. Maybe two of the three had that type of metric, but not all. So you had to, you know, figure out what those KPIs were going to be that you were going to look at every period, daily, weekly, monthly, right? And then, you know, make sure they were the ones that were driving the business. I've got a pet peeve. How many organizations have we worked for where they have scorecards that are pages and pages long? To me, if you can't have a one-page scorecard, you have failed Mm -hmm. because you need those KPIs, those metrics that will move the needle.
1: It's analogous to like a business plan that's 100 pages versus, right? Being able to just...
2: (laughs) We've all worked for someone who has the ability to put a 100 page business plan together. Great strategy on paper, but you can't execute it, right? So you got to be able to go out and do something with it. You're absolutely right.
1: And did everybody, I think when KPIs shift, when the way you measure and get to that data, that also brings out a bit of fear and concern about, quote unquote, being exposed in a different way by a sales or account management organization. Did you run into that?
2: You know, not terribly, which was good. It really was about agreeing on these are the KPIs that we know will move the needle. This is how we're now going to measure them. This is how they translate into each of your business units, and this is what it means to you. And once we got everyone there, then it was just full speed ahead. Let's go ahead and do what we know we can do.
1: It's exciting. And then once you got it in place, how long were you there? And can you give us kind of a general sense of how much growth did you drive through this change?
2: Yeah, so it's interesting. We drove, as you can imagine, across the three different business units. We didn't drive growth equally. But it's safe to say that because of the things that we put into place, we were able to drive growth in two out of the three business units and realize some really substantial wins in how we went about the day-to-day of our business. Unfortunately, you're always going to have some that are going to you know be a little harder to transform than others. So the organization transformed just a couple of the business lines lagged behind. But all that means is you just have to, you know, dig in, roll up your sleeves and figure out where something is either broken or not working as well as it needs to and and go in and fix it. You know, I wish I could say it was a resounding success. It was a success, but I wouldn't call it, you know, 100% off the charts.
1: Okay. And soon after Lightspeed, you went to another company and remind me the name.
2: Yeah. So I went to a B2B media company called Ensemble IQ. Portfolio company for a private equity firm. And this was a case where the private equity firm, over the course of two years, had purchased four different B2B media businesses and had done zero integration of the businesses. I remember during the interview process, someone told me proudly that they had 18 bank accounts across the US and Canada. And I looked at them and said, why are you proud of that fact?
1: Yeah, right.
2: There was no ERP, there was no CRM. I mean, everything was just all over the place. And then, you know, just to make life a little more complicated, three months after I joined the company, we made another acquisition. Now, strategically, it was a fantastic acquisition. But now we had to integrate five different companies. And boy, talk about heavy lifting. But again, we approached it the same way. What can we do in the back end to create efficiencies, to become seamless, to have one operations team delivering across everything? And we were able to do that fairly quickly. But the challenge was, you know, in the media business, someone is selling ads, be it digital ad, a digital program, a digital or an event sponsorship or ad in a magazine for their particular publication. So how do you get them thinking about the 15 to 16 other publications that they could be doing the same thing with? This was a lot more heavy lifting than at Lightspeed. I'm not sure if the industry was more resistant to change, but I will tell you the salespeople in this media business were more resistant to change than the folks over at Lightspeed. And it was a little bit of the carrot. It was a little bit of the stick. And I had to change my approach because the change wasn't happening. The transformation wasn't happening as fast as we had hoped it would.
1: Did you personally have to change your expectations or change your leadership style? What was that change that you had to make?
2: My expectations always stay high. So that didn't change it was the carrot and stick and the weight between the two. And that was dependent upon either the sales team or the individuals on the sales team. Got it. So, you know, across 40 some odd salespeople who I got to know rather quickly, it was a lot of one-on-one conversations about how we were going to do things differently, why we were doing them differently and why this was good for them in their careers, I'm not typically a stick guy. I believe the carrot is the much better approach.
1: Better mood too in the company.
2: Yeah, of course. But in this case, there was such resistance to change. Well, I know one of the resistance. I was the fourth CEO in two years. Right. So they had seen, you know, the flavor of the month come through and, you know, who is the Shanker guy and why is he going to be any different? Yeah. So, right. You have to, you know, look at it and play to the situation and, Yeah, that's how we went about it there. Much more stick than carrot than I typically like to use.
1: I'm curious your philosophy on centralization versus decentralization based on stage of company. Do you have any philosophies on that?
2: Yeah, good question. I will tell you that for the most part, I like centralization across shared services, no matter the stage of the company. I like the idea that you can spread resources across all different types of business lines or products or however you're defining your business, and that those people who are supporting the business are flexible enough to be able to move across that shared services and play different roles, especially when you're smaller and you're a newer company. You want the multi-purpose athlete, if you will, who can play a lot of those different roles. The flip side of that is I really do think when you are smaller, you've got to come out strong with being subject matter experts. Because when you're the new guy, when you're the small guy and you're competing against someone bigger, what's going to differentiate you? Hopefully product, hopefully service. But at the end, I want the folks that are out speaking to the clients being the experts in the field. I really want them to be the go-to person that the customer thinks of calling first when they have a question, even if it's not about buying anything, but they know this person knows everything there is to know about a certain subject.
1: Yep, it's developing that brand within a specific niche.
2: Yeah, well, and developing it to a point where, right, they are that expert.
1: Correct, yep, that makes sense. And now you've started your own company and you're consulting with small to medium sized businesses. Give us an idea of what types of clients you work with today
2: Yeah, so you know in the MR space, as we've all seen, there's been so many great technology enhancements mm-hmm. and I think one of the things that I realized early on, you know, when I was at Lightspeed or OTX or IRI, even, you know, working with these companies, a lot of times the founders and that initial team are great with the technology. They may or may not know the industry real well, and they probably haven't figured out how to sell into the market that they're serving. And there comes a point where they need to figure out what that sales model is. So, I really enjoy working with companies that have some of those challenges. Great product, it's resonating in the marketplace, but they just can't figure out how to get to that next level. How do they get from two and a half million in revenue to five and from five to 10? You know, what worked when you're two and a half million is not going to work when you're trying to get to 10 million. There are certain sales strategies and tactics that you need to put into place that will produce better outcomes. Those are the type of companies I like to look, work with. I've got a great example. I was talking to the CEO of a company uh, earlier this year, and he had promoted someone from a regional VP role to be his head of sales and thought that I should have a conversation with this new head of sales. And we did. And you know, just in having two 30-minute conversations, what the head of sales realized was he didn't know what he didn't know. He knew what he knew about being a regional sales manager, but he didn't know about all the things that others before him have done to motivate sales teams, to align sales teams, to create uh, better value propositions for their clients and how to communicate them how to create account plans even, right? So, you know, all of a sudden that's the start of a relationship where you can come in and knock off those type of activities or, you know, that you think collectively will help that company get to the next level faster. You can't do it all at once. You pick or choose one or two and you start there and you monitor the progress.
1: Yep. You talked about account planning. Is there a methodology of account planning that you prefer versus others? I shouldn't say versus others, but one that you lean towards more so than others.
2: Well, let's start with KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. If it's on one page, if it's more than one page, you have failed. Yep. And you know it really is just the basics, right? It is sitting down. And remember, account planning isn't filling out an Excel spreadsheet because if that's all you do, you have already failed. Account planning is having a conversation with the salesperson about what it is you want to accomplish at that account during the next 12, 18 to 24 months. And once you agree on what that is you want to accomplish, then what are the things that you need to now go do to get there? Yep. That's account planning.
1: And I continue to reiterate that it's not an administrative exercise. It's not a bureaucratic exercise. It's actually really about getting allocation of resources and time to be able to get alignment on your goals, but also get the resources you need to be able to achieve those goals.
2: Well, yes. And allocating the company resources against the biggest opportunities.
1: Yes, exactly.
2: Right. Because every salesperson is going to raise their hand. They think theirs is the best opportunity. At some point, someone has to say, we've got limited resources in marketing. We're going to go spend against this sector for the best outcome.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. That's like selling to the hearts and minds of salespeople.
2: (laughs) You're absolutely right. And I've seen so many of these fail because you complete an Excel template, you put it in a three ring binder, or you save it on your desktop folder, Yeah, and then no one ever goes in and looks at it again.
1: Nobody dusts it off. Yeah, exactly. David, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. If people wanted to get in touch with you and learn more, how do they find you?
2: So you can go to my website, davidshankerconsulting.com And I made my email even easier, david at DavidShankerconsulting.com. So there you go. That's awesome. Thank you for tuning in to
0: Data Gurus Podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time... Be bold, be brave, and be fearless.